Hi, this is Michael, and you're listening to Soma's podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It's our vision as a church to help as many people come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This podcast is a vehicle to further that vision. If the content has encouraged you in any way, we'd love to invite you to join us in helping us reach more people with the message of Jesus through this podcast and all that we do as a church. You can help by giving on our website at soma.church. We're in a series in the book of Mark called Kingdom Come, and the journey through Mark leads us up to Easter. If you're ever in the area on a Sunday, we'd love to host you. For more information about location and service times, you can visit us at soma.church. Enjoy the message. Mark 11 is where we're going to be today. Mark 11, we're going kingdom come. In the book of Mark is where we've been. If you're joining us for the first time, I've been tracking through the book of Mark, giving kind of a survey of the text, and we also have these books that you can use or just take, I would encourage, I'm going to throw a lot of scripture at you today, take notes, but I'm going to read this passage of scripture and then kind of unpack the background for Passion Week, this Holy Week that we're in, Mark 11, 20 through 25. In the morning, as they went along, they saw a fig tree withered from the roots, and Peter remembered, and he said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. What? What's happening here? Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive your sins. And so a little backdrop for this passage is Palm Sunday here. And it's where we celebrate triumphal entry of Jesus it's the day that marks the final week of the life and the ministry of Christ here on earth. He makes his way to Jerusalem. On that Sunday, he would have come to Jerusalem. And when he arrived in Jerusalem, he was actually, he arrived at a dinner party. He was, out, he was actually outside of Jerusalem in Bethany, a couple miles east of Jerusalem. And so Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, uh, if you remember who Lazarus is, just a few months earlier, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And so Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they throw him a dinner party. Anytime somebody raises you from the dead, cook that brother a steak, okay? Just as a general rule, write that down. That's good. That's good hospitality. So, uh, so he comes to town, and they're at Bethany. They're hanging out, and their followers are there, and there's rumblings in Jerusalem that Jesus is coming to town, that Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. And so people begin to make their way towards Bethany, and kind of in between the gap, this two-mile stretch as they head into Jerusalem, and then uh, the following day, that Monday, many scholars believe, is when Jesus actually made his way into Jerusalem. And so people are excited because they're thinking, here comes the Messiah. There's a lot of rumblings of Messiah. They've heard his teachings. They've been there when he healed people. Crazy things are popping off. And then, but they're thinking political. They're thinking political redeemer really is what they're thinking. They're thinking military conquest. They're thinking Jesus is going to ride in on a war horse. And here comes the Son of Man. Kingdom comes, but as it comes, he's riding a colt. And they're singing Hosanna, which is Hebrew for save. It's just a praise word for salvation. Hosanna, just like, thank God the kingdom is here. And they're just, but, of course, they're thinking a different type of kingdom. And their palm branches are going down. How many of y'all, you grew up in the church, we had a little palm branches? You remember that back in the day? God, we got to bring that back. We got next year. Somebody write that down. Palm branches and uh, coats are on the ground. And, and here comes Jesus, and everybody's celebrating. Again, because they have one thing in mind. But Jesus makes his way through the crowd, 
And as he comes, first thing he does is he stops at the temple. Mark tells us he makes his way through triumphal entry and then he goes to the temple. He takes an inventory of the temple. And when he shows up, he shows up in the, the court of the Gentiles is where he would have been. And it's where people exchanged currency. It's where people were selling for the sacrificial system. Joseph, Josephus, who's an extra biblical scholar, he said that there were over 250,000 lambs slaughtered annually on Passover week. Can you imagine the chaos in this courtyard? People who are clamoring. This is supposed to be the place that people who are far from God, the Gentiles, come to pursue God. And yet there's all this exchange. Jesus is upset by this scene. Tomorrow, he's actually getting ready to come back and deal with it. You know what I mean? He's getting ready to flip some tables. And so, but, but on that day, he's just taking inventory. Goes back, goes to sleep. He goes back to Bethany, stays with this family. And then the following day, uh, Tuesday morning, Jesus leaves from Bethany where he's staying. He heads back to Jerusalem. He goes to the temple to cleanse the temple. But then there's this crazy passage in Mark, right before he goes to the temple, and, and Jesus gives this object lesson. It's kind of an obscure passage. It's kind of like people just, I don't know what to do with that, so they don't, they keep going. But Mark 11, 12 through 14, he says, the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Again, temple hasn't been cleansed yet. He's on his way back. Seeing in the, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, which means it's, it's a healthy fig tree, everything's good. He went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. It's not even the season for figs. Okay, so there's no fruit because it's not in season. And so then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. His disciples heard it. And so everybody's like, okay, Jesus is hangry. You know, like we, we, they'll be jacking with Jesus today. You know what I mean? So uh, but but I, that's the first time when I read it, I thought that's what it meant. Um, but but Mark has this thing where Mark does, he, it's called a marking sandwich, where he'll hit a thing at the first part of a chapter, and he'll give you like a different uh, truth or something that Jesus taught, and then he'll bookend it with like, he'll come back to it. And so he does that with the fig tree. He just kind of throws it out there. Jesus curses this fig tree and just walks by, and everybody's like, what is happening? And then, uh, and then but he comes back. He comes back to this moment. And so... Uh, in, in verse 20, we pick up on Wednesday morning. So cleanses the temple, goes home, spends the night in Bethany, comes back again. And here's what happens in verse 20. We've already read it, but just a reminder. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Peter's freaking out. He's like, Brooke and I, like, we, we, I don't know how many of you have a green thumb. If you, love, you have strong plant game, uh, we would love to. We kill plants. It just takes, like, months. Sometimes, you know, like, over the course of a year to kill them. Uh, but this happens. Like, overnight, it is in full leaf. Again, doesn't have fruit because it's not in season. Healthy plant. Comes back the next day. This thing is rotted, withered from the roots, the Bible tells us. It's just dead. And Peter is like, what? He cursed that tree and that sucker died, like, the next day. And so he's freaking out. In this passage, um, in Mark, you know, uh, the, in Mark's gospel, 12 different times Jesus is called teacher, and four times he's called rabbi. And every time it's in reference to something incredible going on around him. And so every time it's like, teacher, like, basically, hey, would you help us understand what's happening here? Rabbi, would you teach us? Would you instruct us in what's going on? And so Jesus sets up a lesson for them on faith when he uses this fig tree as an object lesson. And so faith for us as followers of Christ, obviously like an important thing to, to, you know, to have a relationship with God, 
to be in relationship, to be led by Jesus, we've got to have faith. We're saved by grace through faith, key ingredient into all that, right? We, we do works in faith, believing and trusting God. Jesus said on several occasions, as your faith is, be it unto you. Hey, whatever, whatever your faith looks like, hey, that's your portion. That's where you're headed. That's the direction of your life. And so it's kind of a big deal for, for the follower of Jesus. You read through the Bible and you see the significance of faith, of trusting God. This is Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And then Jesus in Mark 9, we look back to Mark chapter 9, there's this passage where a dad who, he has a son and his son needs to be healed and his dad has faith but he comes to Jesus and here's what he says as he comes. The God told Jesus, here's my son, if you can do anything, please help us. And then Jesus' response in Mark chapter 9 is, if I can do anything. It's literally in there, you go back and read it, if I can do anything. What? And so he says this in verse 23, Jesus says, everything is possible for one who believes. Everything is possible. And then this is the passage where the dad looks at him and says, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. And I feel like so many of us are right there. I feel like so many of us believe, Lord, but man, help us in our unbelief in all the areas that we struggle, all the areas that we lack trust, all the areas we've yet to let go, all the areas that we've yet to surrender and, and we're right there where the dad is with the kid who needs a healing. God, I believe you, but we, we kind of approach him sometimes with this mindset of if you can do anything, and he's like, what? what? No, I got you. Like, I, I can do things. And so um, in, in Matthew 13, Jesus said this of Nazareth, his hometown. Here's how important faith is. Jesus goes and preaches in the local synagogue Nobody has faith and trust in who Jesus says he is because, again, he grew up. I mean, he spent the majority of his lifetime there. And he says this in Matthew 13, 58. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. And I'm thinking, what a sad testimony of Nazareth. Like, the birth, you know, not the birthplace, but the li- where, he, where he was raised, where he lived the majority of his life. Grew up in, and I'm thinking, what kind of plaque do you put post-Jesus? Jesus lived here, and nothing really cool happened because our faith was garbage. Like, that's kind of like their plaque. That's their, that's their remembrance. That's what the Bible has to say about Nazareth. And I'm thinking, man, God, please make that uh, not our, you know, our history, our testimony as a church. Help us to be a people who have great faith and believe you for crazy things, audacious things, is what, what the Bible instructs us to do. And so when we don't operate in faith, we don't receive from God like we would if we would have had the faith to believe him and trust him. And it doesn't mean, I'm going to qualify that statement, it doesn't mean that when we have faith it's going to turn out like you thought. Okay? It doesn't mean like it was going to turn out the way that you specifically wanted. It means that when we don't have faith, we miss out. That's all it means. Is that you leave so much on the table when we don't go to God in faith. It's foundational to following Jesus, to trusting him. And it's a challenge to all of us. Without faith, you can't receive from God. Jesus teaches us three attributes attributes of faith in this this Mark 11 passage. Mark 11, 22 says, he says this, have faith in God, Jesus says. The first thing that he says after Peter says, hey, this tree is withered. What in the world? This is crazy. And Jesus, he goes right into his message. He's ready. He's prepared. He said it yesterday for this moment. Hey, have faith in God is the first thing. So great faith is in God. It's not in my circumstances. It's not in the gifts that God gave me. 
It's not in the people or the resources or the opportunity. It's not even in faith itself. So many of us are, are like, we have faith in faith itself, and we're not saying that. We're saying have faith in God, the giver of the gifts. So, so many of us, we get into a place where God has given us over to success in some areas of life, relationally, financially, impact, influence, business, money, whatever the case may be, and all of a sudden now our faith is in that rather than the one who gave it to us to begin with. And so he leads everything off by saying, hey, have faith in God. This is what it should look like. And so I'm putting my faith in God. I'm not putting my faith in faith. And faith is this channel on how we receive from God. But God is the point. God's the point. And so um, we have to have faith. But the issue is, you know, so many of us have faith. We're just not exercising our faith. We're not applying our faith. And so um, many people get caught up. And even the disciples did in Luke 17, right after Jesus is teaching on forgiveness, Jesus, he says, hey, if someone uh, offends you, someone does you wrong, someone messes with you, he said, you got you to gotta forgive them seven times a day. Like, if they do it again, just forgive them again. And they're like, oh, Lord. That's the passage where they said, Lord, increase our faith, right? And so look at this in, in Luke 17, verse 5 through 6. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will, be, it, will, it will obey you. And so Jesus says, hey, it's not the amount of faith, it's the applied faith. He's like, you already have faith. You don't even need that much. You just need to do something with it. So if you have a real faith, just a little bit will be good. If it's applied faith in a big God, that's the whole thing. A way to put it is a small amount of applied faith in a big God is a recipe for the miraculous. That's what it means. Uh, just a small amount of faith, but it has to be applied. I got to do something with that faith. I can't just hold on to it. I got to move on it. But it's in a big God, man. That's, that's, that's the recipe for the miraculous things that God does in our lives. And so here's the good news. You already have a little bit of faith in God, but what do we do with it? What do we do when we have faith, when I feel like God's given me over to something? And again, I've got to be discerning in that. I got to understand what his will is for my life, what his will is in general, in order to really act on it. But I'm believing that God's like doing a thing, leading me in a certain place, directing my life. Now what do I do in that moment? I've got to use it. I've got to apply it. And that leads us to the second point in Mark eleven twenty three. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. So here's the second point is great faith is spoken. So great faith is in God. Not in me, not in my ability, not in my natural strength, not in my circumstances, not in the gifts that God has given, but great faith is spoken. Jesus says, hey, you have faith? Awesome. Now say something about it. <laughs> Tell somebody. Do something with that. And so mountain-moving mountain faith is articulated. A lot of us are believing for God for big things, but we're doing it low-key. We're doing it secretly. We're doing it unspoken because we don't want other people to think we're crazy, just straight up. I mean, that's really, like if God gives you a word, you're like, mm, I'm going to hold on to that in my spirit. I'm going to put that in my journal, you know, instead of telling people like what God's telling you in this season. Um, but you, get, you have to begin to articulate it. Real faith is an articulated faith. He says this in verse 23. If anyone says to this mountain, if anyone says to this mountain, and that's such an encouragement to me because Jesus just broadens it. This is not an exclusive claim to this type of faith, this promise. This promise now all of a sudden is for anyone, Jesus says. Your Bible may say uh, whoever. Your, your translation may say whoever. 
Either way, it's not exclusive. It's not just for the 12. It's not just for people who've been following Jesus for a long time. It's not just for people who like, know their Bible way better than you, have a theology degree. It's not exclusive. It's anyone. If anyone has this type of faith, has this type of approach, begins to speak towards things. And so Jesus puts no qualifications to this type of faith. And then he says this. He says right after that, he says, can look at this mountain. And so Jesus, biblical scholars believe at this point, they've walked past the fig tree. Peter's freaking out. It's dead now. What is happening? They walk up to the Mount of Olives, and they begin to look out towards the Temple Mount. And so as they're headed back, because, again, it's only a two-mile stretch, they're headed back, going, cresting over the Mount of Olives towards the Temple Mount, you begin to see just, it's just a massive plateau that's been built. And so at the time, uh, Herod the Great had moved so much earth, so much mountain. Literally, it took, biblical scholars tell us, it took 46 years up until the time of Christ for them to have moved that much dirt. It's 15 uh, football fields side by side. And, and Jesus, that's what he uses. Again, Jesus is just working with whatever he's got, mulberry trees and fig trees. And, oh, look, there's a mountain. I'll talk about that. So he's wherever he's at. So he's like, hey, he said, hey, if you have the faith, you could speak to a mountain, and the mountain, the mountain will move. And he's talking to them about, hey, listen, you can move mountains one of two ways. You can do it in your own strength. You can, I mean, you can move mountains. It takes you dynamite. Hello. You can, like, it takes some time, some resources, some engineering, some sweat equity, sometimes some lives. It takes all kinds of things. I don't know how many people died. It's, you know, have, think about how many people died building the Temple Mount. But here's the Temple Mount, Temple sitting on top of it. If you look at it today in Israel, it's the Dome of the Rock right there. But Jesus is talking to him about, hey, you can move mountains one of two ways, in your own strength, or, or you, can, you, you can begin to speak to that mountain. You can begin on faith to just begin to talk to the mountain. And so as Jesus is teaching, that's the backdrop. And Jesus is saying you can move a mountain, humanly speaking, and, or you can just on faith move mountains. Mark eleven twenty three. truly I tell you, if anyone says to the mountain, says to the mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say, what they say will happen, it will be done for them. If anyone says, if whoever, or your Bible may say whoever says, but believes what they say, he, so there's this emphasis on speaking words of faith regarding the obstacles that we face in life. And so there's a place to articulate what we believe. There's a place to say out loud the things that are in line with God. So believing that he is the God that takes things that are not and calls them as though they are, that he can move mountains. So it's the one thing for me to believe in my heart that God can do a thing. And it's entirely another thing for me to just speak to that mulberry tree. So that's the difference. we got to bridge the gap between what we believe and what we do with our belief and what we do with our faith. He's like, begin to say it. Say it out loud. I'm thinking, I think I'm crazy. I know. Like, just say, I mean, so begin to say it out loud what you're what you know God's asking you to do. It can sound like, it can sound like name it and claim it kind of theology. Um, and, and I'm not saying that when you pray, you get what you have in mind. I'm saying that when you pray, God begins to turn your heart towards what he wants for you. And when you pray, you pray with faith that God can do anything. So it's like, yeah, but my circumstances look real bleak. It doesn't matter. Yeah, but we got bad news. It doesn't matter. Yeah, but the medical report, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but the, like, it doesn't matter. But so you just have a faith that says, God, you could do anything in this moment. And I'm not saying you're like, you're going to, 
You're going to answer the prayer the way that I want you to answer the prayer. You're going to answer the prayer. But, like, the more I spend time with you, the more I discern your will, the more I'm dialed in on on who it is that you want me to become, the more I want the things that you want for me. And so this is something that Jesus says on more than one occasion, too, when he's talking about speaking to things. This is something he says on multiple occasions. Jesus has certain things that are important enough to repeat, and he repeats them in different settings, in different parts of the narrative of Scripture, not even in different gospel accounts in the same moment, but in different moments entirely. And it's kind of a big deal whenever Jesus says the same thing multiple times. And so Matthew 17, 20, he replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And so the idea is you're believing God and now you're saying it out loud as though it's going to happen. Proverbs 18, 21 says this, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And if you doubt that, just start speaking death over people, you know, in your house, in your span of care. It's an expensive exercise, by the way, but just trust me. Start speaking death over people, see what happens. You could kill a marriage by how you speak to people. You could kill, man, you could, you know how many kids, you know how many grown adults need counseling because of something that was spoke to them and their self-esteem and self-worth was, took a massive hit because of what mom and dad said way back in the day or what somebody else said. Like you can, you can come, you can also speak life over people. You can also lift people up. You can create life and boldness and vitality with the words that you speak. Second Corinthians 4.13 says, it's written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. And, and Paul's saying, hey, there's a correlation between what I believe and what I say. There's a whole, no, it's a level of commitment. When I say it, it's just like a whole, it's a whole other level of commitment. And you know, we've been there. It's the difference between, uh, baptisms is a great example. We're talking about baptisms. It's the difference between saying that I believe a certain thing and then confessing Jesus publicly as Lord is a whole different thing. It's not unlike marriage. It's the difference between talking about getting married to somebody and getting married to somebody. Like, put a ring on that finger, big boy. You know what I mean? Like, if we're going to be about it, be about it. So there's a difference between thinking a thing, oh, I believe that we, and then, and then you know what? This is what's happening. Like, this is, this is where we're going. You begin to say out loud what, what's getting ready to take place. And so too many of us are guarded in what we're believing God for. But Jesus says, whoever says, if anyone says, and, and, and your faith aligns with your speech, Jesus says, hey, you're headed in the right, the right direction. Doubt left unexpressed begins to die, but faith expressed begins to grow stronger. So begin to just say out loud the things that you're believing for. And then just start with this. If you're like, I don't even know what to believe for, just begin to start with God's promises for your life as a believer and a follower of Jesus. Just begin to say what the scripture says about who you are in Christ. Just begin to say that over your life. Because some of us, you just need that exercise. There's a lack of security there. There's, there's, there's no identity there. It's like you, you've been shaped by, by who, who said what about you or what broader culture had to say. Rather than, God, what do you have to say about who I am? You begin, need to begin to speak life over your marriage. You need to begin, begin to spend li- speak life over your kids. You need to begin to speak life over, over opportunities and where God placed you in context. Things that sometimes you just speak death. Like, I hate this job. This job is the dumbest job ever. Now it is. Like, you just ruined it. You know what I mean? Like, just begin to, just, just begin to speak life over things and to just watch what happens as you, you bring your faith and your speech together and you bring that in to places. Like, people, it hits people. 
Like it lifts rooms and it, and it builds people's faith. And, and so God has you here today. I believe God has you here today because some of us, really all of us, if we're being honest, we have a mountain, we have an obstacle, we have a hard situation, and God's saying, would you trust me? And in your faith, would you begin to just say out loud what you're believing me for? You just begin to speak to it. Just begin to talk to it. Speak. Speak it out loud. And I know that feels like a weird exercise. But again, it's like kind of what, it's what he asked us to do. Uh, one of the things that I have going on in this season, really for us corporately as a church we have going on in this season, is uh, we're nav- if you're new to our church family, we're navigating this season where we're trying to find a building. We feel like God has direction for us. We feel like there's a place that God's called us. And, um, but it's this hard, weird space that we're in and that the, the owner of the facility won't allow us to speak about it until we have purchase sale agreement in hands and a bunch of other things in hands, which is super hard for me because I'm like, I, I'm, I like to do things in faith. So anyway, I like to talk about them before they happen. So anyway, uh, so it's really hard for me. And so, um, but one of the things that I've done in this season is I'll just, I'll just speak to that thing. I'll just ride by that bad boy and I'll just be talking to it. You know what I mean? What's up? I'm so excited to see, you know, I'm like, I'm just like, man, I'm just speaking life. I'm just speaking to that thing. Whatever your thing is, whatever you're believing God for, I just think you need in this season, you need to begin to speak to it. So again, God is your source. God is your strength. God's agenda, God's will. But begin to speak, to speak to areas of your life that, man, uh, relationships that you have with your kids, Right, struggles or temptations or addictions that you've always held on to, strongholds that have always just begin to speak to those things in the name of Jesus. Just begin to speak to them on faith that God can redeem you, that God can restore you, that God can uh, put purpose back, put you back on track, that God can like give you over to a great testimony, a great story of like just believe and just begin to speak on faith for the things that we need to speak to. I believe that's what God wants us to do in this season, and so. The next point that he has is in verse 24. So great faith is in God. Great faith is spoken faith. But then Mark 11, 24, he says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Whatever you ask for in prayer. (laughs) So great faith asks God in prayer. So it's my faith is in God. My faith is spoken. I begin to say what I believe God's going to do. But also, really important key ingredient is to begin to ask him to move in ways that only he can move so that he can get credit for the things that he's, he's going to do in my life. Because otherwise, you're just walking around talking to things, which is a really, it's like, don't just do that. Like, I mean, do that for sure. But also, just like, in, a key ingredient is ask God to move in your life. Ask. Ask him. This is the fundamental, this is what prayer is all about. Whatever you ask in prayer, how do you and I even receive from God? How do we receive? We ask and we receive, the Bible tells us. We seek and we find. We knock and the door will be open. James 4 tells us we have not because we ask not. How much do we leave on the table? He's like, wait, he's like, any minute they're going to ask me. They're going to ask me. Any minute they're going to ask me. How many times can they go bankrupt? How many times can I go to rehab? How many times can we have this fight about the same thing? Any minute they're going to ask me to come through in this area of their life, I'm waiting. And he, and he wants to give you over to it, and yet we never ask. We never humble ourselves enough to stop and ask. And it's a key part of faith. I have, to, I have to have faith that God can move in ways that I can't, and I have to come to the end of myself. This is even the moment of salvation. 
This is what salvation looks like, where you just realize, I got to ask you. I need you to come. I need you to do things I can't do. The greatest tragedy in life isn't that our prayers go unanswered, but that they go unasked. I'm thinking, how many people, like, yeah, sure, sometimes God answers you in a different way than the one that you had in mind. But more importantly, how many times did you just not ask? And he's like, I would have given I would have given you more. I would have given it to you. I would have given you a more robust, like, healthy life. Uh, if, if, if you say, I hope this works out, I wish that would happen, that's not the same as going to God in prayer. Some of us have resolved our prayer life looks like that. I hope, I hope it works out. I wish. Instead of really going to God in prayer and believing that the God of the universe is outside of time, <laughs> But I mean, I know it's wild. This is real faith. But the audacity to believe that he ra- if he could raise people from the dead, hello, like, I mean, he, like anything is possible, the Bible tells us. Nothing is impossible. And we go and we ask him. Mark eleven twenty four. 24. Therefore, I tell you, whoever you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And then I love the, I love uh, a different version, like a different translation of this. Some of your, yours may say this, believe that you are receiving it. Believe that you're receiving it. And so we step out in faith and we're believing for what we can't even see. The Bible tells us faith is being sure of what you hope for and certainty of what you don't see. And, and so I've just, all of a sudden, I'm certain that God is at work in my life. I'm certain that God hears my prayers. I'm certain that God loves me more than I can even understand. I'm certain that God is able in this situation. I'm certain that he wants more for me, more than I could ask or imagine. Again, I, be, I begin to apply what he's already said in his word, his promises for my life as a follower of Jesus, to that situation without getting so tripped up on the details of how he's going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. But I'm just like, I'm believing that he's going to come through in this area of my life. And so I love it. First John, he, he gives us commentary on, on this, this relationship between faith and asking. He says this in 1 John 5, 14 through 15. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything, how, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. And so John, key ingredient as he gives commentary on this passage, he says, hey, yes, ask anything in his name. Ask anything of God in his will. In his will. So when we wait on the Lord, when we spend time with God... And again, this is a, just a big part of the Christian life. I wish there was another way. But like waiting on the Lord seems to be like more than anything, the thing that gives way to breakthrough. It's exhausting for me because I lack patience. Okay, maybe you do too. But it's just like I try to do things in my own strength. And he's like, stop it. You're so dumb. How many times we got to do this? Right? And so it's like, let's begin to wait on the Lord. Begin to just ask God. Just begin to spend time. Just begin to build a relationship. Just begin to like discern his will for your life. God's already given you a lot of will for your life. <laughs> it's just a lot of will going on right here. And so to begin to discern his will for my life. But again, the Holy Spirit will give me application for what he's already said. So there's, he contextualizes his will. That's how amazing it is for whatever I need in that moment. But I got to spend time and I got to discern the will of God. John tells us why. So that I can have the faith to ask him according to his will. According to his will. And so... When we do that, it gives you faith to believe for the will of God, even in the middle of opposition or difficulty. That's the cool thing. The more time you spend 
the more resolved you are for whatever it is, whatever word God gave you. There's a level of conviction that sets in that's just like, all right, I'm ready. And we see this in the apostles. We see this in Christ. But there's a level of conviction that sets in with the faith that you've just spent time and you've just waited on the Lord when he gives you a direction for your life and you pray and you ask for things in faith and he gives you an answer. There's a level of conviction that sets in that just says, it doesn't matter what the world throws at me. It does not matter. Like I'm stayed in my conviction. I'm ready to, I'm ready to, to move forward on faith. And so... Another way to put all this is if there's a question concerning God's will, your faith will always stop at that question mark. So you need to spend time so you can discern his will, so you have a real staidness and a real conviction and a real direction so that you can move forward. You'll have faith. If God speaks to you and gives you a direction and you actually you, you feel it, like there's a belief and you begin to tell people around you, he'll even position people around you to like, Hear what you have to say. Stir your faith in a greater way. You need to be strategic about who you bring into that. Not everybody's ready for the things that God's called you to. So just be real careful. Because, again, back, back to life and death. There's power in the tongue. You share, that, you share that news with the wrong person, they're just going to ruin it. And you're like, okay, well, maybe it wasn't the Lord. You know? like, so just, you need to be around people who love you, who love the Lord. You need to be around people who have who have a robust faith in God can do audacious things and people who love you and want great things for you. Those are the people you share with. And so as you begin to share it, as you begin to say it out loud, as you begin to confess, as you begin to commit to it, as you begin to ask God, he gives you over to this greater life, this greater call. It's, it's hard to have faith that you can move mountains if you don't know what God's will is for your marriage or your family, or your kids, or your home, or your vocation, or your purpose, how you should carry yourself, how you should talk to other people, how you should live, and what you should let in, what you shouldn't let in. If you can't spend time discerning God's will, again, greater things on the other side of surrender, other side of waiting on the Lord, other side of, okay, I have a great faith, but my faith is in God, not in my circumstances. And I have a, I have a great faith, but I got to begin to speak to the things in my life. Say out loud, it's such a hard exercise to say it out loud. I know, but say it out loud. And then I, I got to begin to ask him to move in ways in my life that only he can get credit for those things. So this is the same thing. This is the same thing that we experience, too, as we come to faith in Christ. This is, this is how we are given over to a faith in the Lord, is we realize that God is our source Man, I used to think I was our source, my source. I used to think it was the stuff. I used to think it was all the other things that I pursued. It's not. It's God. I have a great faith now, and I've shifted off of my agenda onto God's agenda. But also, the Bible tells me I can believe in my heart, but then I gotta, I gotta confess with my mouth that He's Lord. So I just can't secretly believe. I just gotta like publicly confess Him. Again, baptism is a great example, but also just telling people. And it's that moment, if you've ever, if you've had that moment, if you remember the moment that you came to faith in Christ, you just had to tell somebody. Because it's wild. It's like, I was real jacked up, and Jesus met me, and it's just like, what? And not even the moment of salvation, but also the moment of surrender over the course of your lifetime, things that you need freedom from. That moment where Jesus meets you in that space, and you just got to tell somebody about the things that God's done in your life. Again, you got to confess him as Lord. But also, you got to ask him. He says, ask, it's going to be given. 
Seek and you'll find. Knock. I'm waiting. I'm waiting on the other side of the door. So we've got to ask him. And, and I would love to lead us in a prayer. I would also love for you to just think as we head into Easter Sunday, what is this, the Holy Spirit, what does this mean for me? How can I have a more robust faith, God? What does that mean? How, what am I missing out on? Prayers that are just going unasked because of a lack of faith, audacious faith for the things that you want to do in my life. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for Mark chapter 11. And thank you, Jesus, that as you came, you didn't come as a, a political redeemer, God. You didn't come as a military messiah. You came as a humble servant and you rode in on a colt. Thank you for the gift of the lessons that you taught your earliest followers and those of us who follow you now in what it means to have bold, robust faith that if we believe that God can do anything, if we begin to speak to the obstacles in our life, the opposition in our life, the strongholds in our life, God, you know what's in the room right now and you know what people have been holding on to for like 12 years. And sometimes we care more about what other people may think. We care more about other people's appraisal. We, care, we fear man more than we do you and, and a real reverence for who you are and who you say you are and what you can do in our lives. So God, would you help us to remember the resurrection? And would you help us to remember that you bring th dead things to life and that that's your business? And just help us to have the faith in you that we can begin to speak to the things in our life. And for those who've been doing it for a long time, God, would you give them over to greater resolve, greater faith, to wait on you and your timing? I've been doing that for, I've been doing that for 15 years. Keep doing it. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep having faith. Keep speaking to it. If you're here and you've never had that moment where you've, you've shifted your, your faith off of yourself and your ability to do certain things or your ability to be good enough or manage a situation or be good enough to work your way to eternity in right relationship to God. But you say, you know what? I want my faith to be in God. And then I need to confess, I need to, I need to have a saving faith, the belief that he is who he says he is. And I'm, I'm experiencing that in this moment. But the Bible also tells us, hey, confess him as Lord. You need a moment where you confess Jesus as Lord where what he's doing on the inside matches what you're doing on the outside. And I would love to give you an opportunity for that this morning. For anybody who, maybe you've done religious things or been around, in and around church, and, or maybe God's just been working on you in this season, and you know, you know what, I'm, I'm really not following Jesus. I really haven't surrendered my life. I really haven't gone all in. I really, I don't know that I've had that moment of salvation. But I wanna, I wanna have my faith in God, not in me. And I also want to confess him. I want to say it out loud. I want to speak to my situation that Jesus is who he says he is. So if that's you today with all of our heads bowed and our eyes are closed, would you just lift your hand in the room and say, I would love, I would love for you to pray for me. I'd love to surrender my life. Amen. Is there anybody else? Just lift your hand and just say, that's for me. Amen. Amen. Hands going up. Amen. Anybody else? Yeah, prayer doesn't save you. This moment doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. He saved you. He's already forgiven you. Sins, past, present, and future. The moment of your personal salvation is the moment you surrender your life, your agenda to his. And just say, Jesus, I give you my life. Right where you're at, those of you who lifted your hands, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for meeting me in this moment. 
God, you, you, you've led me up to this moment, and you've surrounded me with family and friends and people who've spoken to me and just all the things that led up to this place where I'm just finally willing to lay down my life and my agenda, really surrender fully to you. I want to come into right relationship with you. God, would you give me over to a great faith? Would you help me to say out loud the things that I'm believing for? God, would you give me over to a faith that just asks for you to move in my life in ways that only you can get credit? God, same thing for us as a church in this season. Holy Spirit, would you do things that only you can get credit for? Would you lift the head of all who are here today? God, speak encouragement, speak life over their situation. Things that they thought were dead, things that they thought were done, things that they thought were impossible. God, you can move that mountain. Help, just give them faith to speak to it this morning. So I don't know what your obstacles are. I don't know what your, your struggles are. I don't know what your hard things that you're going through. But God is so much bigger than those things. And Jesus comes, arrives on the scene, makes his way towards the cross, makes his way towards resurrection so that we could experience new life. But Jesus comes because he loves you. He sees you. He's always loved you. He's always seen you. He's always been after you. God, we're so grateful for that today. We celebrate on this Palm Sunday, you coming, Jesus, your arrival, your triumphal entry. God, we celebrate you as king. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.